me? Our Father in heaven, it is our honor to recognize you as the God of creation and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us and how you showed it by allowing your Son to pay for our sins. Thank you. We pray for your forgiveness where we fail to live up to what we should, but we count on your blessings so that we can continue to do better. And thank you for the blessings that you give us here in this place, the wonderful people who make up this congregation and the history we have. We pray that we can continue to serve you and make sure that the gospel is spread here and around the world. And speaking of around the world, we thank you for all the missionaries that we support and that we have contact with. Please bless them and protect them wherever they are. And we know that your word will not return void, but we pray that you will help the missionaries not be discouraged and give them strength whenever they travel. We do thank you for, again for this place, and we have so many that are sick. Stan did such an excellent job naming them this morning. We pray you will give them encouragement, give them a calm spirit, and we want them all well and back with us as soon as possible. And for those that are tending to them, give them perseverance and patience as they care for them. Tonight, as we worship you and listen to a sermon by Wes, help us to have open hearts and to try to take in what you want us to do. And remember what you've taught through your word. And please, let us not quench the spirit that lives in us as Christians. And again, we thank you for your blessings and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Number 625, Zion's Call. <clears throat> Zion's Call sweetly rings over land and sea, bidding us look to realms above. While the light from the throne shines for you and me, let us listen to the call of love. Zion's Call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love. On the road to the goal, burdens we must bear, but we have help from realms above. We receive courage new when we kneel in prayer. Let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we Terry below, there is work to do, and our strength cometh from above. As we labor and wait, we must all be true. Let us listen to the call of love. 
Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love. We're sing number 758 before the lesson. If you're able, let's stand together. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the Great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who to Him we give. Sing hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of lords who is the great I am. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 7 tonight. We've been looking at the Gospel of Romans over the last several Sunday nights. And I want us to at least deal with a portion of chapter 7 tonight. But before we do that, I want us to flash back into chapter 6. Uh, it's funny how there are things on the edges of, society, of our society that make a point uh, and help us to, to see and to illustrate uh, some of the most important biblical principles. And I learned a lesson this week listening to Miley Cyrus. And, I mean, that's dangerous, right? When you get in the pulpit and you say, I learned something from Miley Cyrus. Uh, all of our young people, there's nothing good you're going to get from Miley Cyrus. But if, if you don't know who that is, that used to be this wholesome young lady, Hannah Montana on the Disney Channel, and just this sweet, bubbly, just wholesome is a good word for her. And now about as the extreme opposite of that as you could ever get to. As a matter of fact, I think most of us, if you know much about who that is, um, at the same time that you're trying to shelter your children's eyes from, from that train wreck, you can't help but look at her life and just kind of really feel sorry for her. I mean, how far has she fallen? How, how far, how ungodly has this young lady become? And it's, all, it's just like she can't help herself. She, she can't stop herself, and the surprise is never in. Well, anyways, she was talking this week 
about her lifestyle and how she felt about her lifestyle and some of the things that she had done and some of these shocking things that we don't need to go into tonight. And what caught my attention was how she described it. She started talking about the freedom that she had. How she was free and she was making this play uh, about Madonna and how Madonna had, brought, had taught her so much stuff about freedom. And I just thought, when I see Miley Cyrus, the very last thing in my mind is freedom. And I thought about our passage back in chapter 6 last Sunday night when Paul said this to, to these brethren. And he said, verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And to me, I said I felt sorry for her because it seems that she is a slave of sin. She can't stop herself. And she doesn't even realize where she's at. She thinks it's freedom. She thinks it's freedom. It's slavery. That's what sin does in people's lives. And, and, and hopefully it doesn't take us to the point of being Miley Cyrus. I hope and I pray. But that's what sin does. And so that question that Paul was asking, and, and it wasn't really even a question, it was an exhortation. Don't make yourself a slave of sin. Don't, don't buy into the lie that, that sin is a, is, a, is a path to freedom. Make yourself a slave of righteousness. That's how you throw off the master who is for your destruction and you put on a master who is for your life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And tonight, he continues in chapter 7 to talk about the incompatibility, if you will, that sin has in the Christian life, that sin has in this new relationship that we have. And he asked them the question in verse 1. He says, Do you not know, brethren, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking to those who know, the, who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now, Paul is not writing Romans chapter 7 to give us laws about marriage and death and, and, remar and remarriage. That's, that's not his purpose there. That's his vehicle. He's talking about the new relationship that we have. The new relationship, the, the, the new relationship that we have because the old relationship is dead. Because the old man of sin is put away. Therefore, if you get that, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to Him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, they were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, 
having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The, the contrast. I want, I want you to see and I want you to appreciate the new relationship. Sometimes when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is this awesome letter that we have in the New Testament that basically shows us what we have is better. What we have is superior. But I can stand here as the least of these and know that I have a better relationship, a, more, a deeper relationship with my God even than the giants of the faith had even than men like Abraham had. That's what we have because we have that new covenant, that new relationship. Because the old has died. The old has passed away. The one that was leading me to death, it's been put to death. And it's been replaced. The death of Christ released us from the law. That first husband... And in particular, that had meaning to these individuals. But it also has meaning to us, if you remember, as we flash back to the, the idea of law being, being that system of salvation that is dependent upon us. Right? And whether we tried to keep the law of Moses or not, all of us have lived a life where we tried to justify ourselves and we came up short. Well, when Christ died on the cross, He released us from that bondage, that first husband. And He has left us free to be joined to another husband, to be joined to Christ. That's the point that he's making. It's not about husbands and wives and when people die. I mean, that's the vehicle. The point that he's making is we are free to be joined to another. And it is a much better relationship. It is a much better situation. Because of this new relationship, we can produce the fruit of life Instead of the fruit of death. See, we, bat, we, we, we bang our heads up against this wall of death, of our own sin, and we all relate to that. But now we can have life. Now we can stand here and have hope, and have peace, and have love, and have joy. How can we have those things? Knowing what you know about yourself. How can, how can, you, have, how, how can you have confidence? How can you have that blessed assurance? Well, it's because of Christ. Because we're joined together with Christ. I'm going to go to the judgment day and the best thing about that day is that I know Christ and Christ knows me. See, the worst thing about that day for some people is they don't know Christ. But I do. And you do. And everyone can. And He died so that everyone would. That's the fruit that leads to life instead of the fruit that leads to death. And he's going he's to talk over these next few verses and we'll go over some of these things pretty quickly. But he wants us to understand that, that the law, the law is not the problem. I mean, in particular, the law of Moses here, it, it gets a bad rap, right? I mean, and we're, this is, this, I mean, I, I'm a part of a New Testament church. I'm a New Testament Christian. Right? I mean, thus saith the Lord, but don't tell me what Deuteronomy says. Tell me what Acts says. That new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about, that, that, that the Hebrew author wrote about. I'm a New Testament Christian. And that old law, well, it was against us. It was contrary to us. And so it was, you know, nailed to the cross, Colossians 2. And we, we preach that sermon, right? 
Not tonight, but we've preached it before. Well, sometimes it gets a bad rap. Because what he's going to tell us is that it's not the law's fault. The problem's not with the law. The problem is with man. And this may not be a big, a big thing to us, but you think about people who love this law. This was their law. This was their parents' law and their grandparents' law and their great-grandparents. I mean, this is, this is how they related to God. And so this is hard to turn loose from. These are what we, we talk about, our traditions. This is just the way we've always done it. And when people get up and they lead a prayer first thing before a song, and they only lead two songs, and I'm sitting, what are, they, what are we doing? You know, that's, that's, you know, nothing wrong with it. I'm mean, just saying, that's, that's that feeling. What are they doing up there? They're having some of the, what, what, what are you saying about the law? What's wrong with the way we generally do it? He said, there's nothing wrong. The problem's with us. He's going to make that point. Verse 7. So, so, so what do we say? Is the law sin? I mean... Should, should we be those folks and we just say, you know what, I don't need the Old Testament. Just cut it out of your Bible. I know some folks like that. You know, because that's, that's old, that's bad. We don't need that. No, 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 no. You're missing it. If that's what you think, you're missing it. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the Lord had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me covenant of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive. And I died. It's that, it's that writing of decree that was against us that was contrary to us, right? Colossians 2. The law had a purpose. Why did God wait 2,000 years? I mean, for that matter, why did God wait 4,000 years? Why didn't, why didn't He send Jesus into the world when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? How come we had to go through the, the, the nation of Israel? And how come we had to go to Mount Sinai and get the law? And we had to have all these sacrifices at Jerusalem and all this history of this crazy cycle that they went... I mean, how, how come we had to do all that? I, mean, I think that's a, that's a good question, right? Well, you know, that at least part of the answer is that that law was a tutor. Well, what was it a tutor for? Knock, was it to teach us calculus? No, I mean, I don't want, that's not what it tutored us in. It was to teach us what sin is. To teach us the, the, the seriousness of sin. And without that law, apparently God says, you wouldn't understand what sin is. Is there value in reading the Old Testament? Yeah. Because probably as well as anywhere else in, in, in the Bible, it shows us who God is and who we are and our relationship with God it teaches us what sin is. How would I have known what coveting was if the Bible had not said, Thou shalt not covet? Sidestep here. I'm going to preach a sermon on this. But it's a really important passage for you to mark in your Bible there in verse 7. Because there, there are some people today who teach that we should still honor the Sabbath. And, and, and because it's a big part of the Old Testament, right? That you, you keep the seventh day, the seventh day, if you will, and you keep it holy. And that was a part of the law. And, and you have that discussion and, and you'll preach the separation of the covenants and the new covenant, old covenant, new covenant, uh, a lot of those things that we just talked about. And, 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 they'll shake the, and they'll agree with everything that you're saying, but, but they'll say the one thing that you don't understand is that there's a difference. What they will say is there, there is the moral law of God and then there is the ceremonial law of God. Ceremony like going to Jerusalem, offering up the, the fatted calf, you know, offering up incense. And, and those are the things that were done away with. But, but what was kept was the moral law, like the Ten Commandments. That's what was kept. That was never done away with. 
And it, it kind of sounds good, okay, when, when people start saying that. I could see. But here, here when he starts talking about that stuff that was done away with, the example he gives is coveting and that the Bible says, Thou shalt not covet. Where do you read that in the Old Testament? Only one place. Only one place. In the Ten Commandments. In the giving of that so-called moral law that they say wasn't done away with. Important for us to know, not because we would want to argue for, co- for, for covetousness, but when people start asking questions, what about the Sabbath? Well, it's going to help us understand those covenants. Sin has pushed us away. Pushed us away from God. And I hope we get that, I hope we get that point. Remember, that's why we said Paul spent three chapters talking about what sin was, to make that point. And this commandment, which was, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. That's the purpose of the law, to teach us about sin. But would the law work? I mean, potentially, theoretically, idealistically. Could a man have been saved by keeping the law of Moses? Yeah, he could have been if he kept it. I mean, it could have worked. That was the purpose. It was to bring about sanctification. It was to result in life. But it didn't in anybody's life. It resulted in death. Why? Because sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And though it and through it killed me. And then the law, and then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's not the way we generally describe the law. But he says it's holy. It's righteous. It's good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, 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 no. May it never be. Once again, don't, don't jump off the ship on some of this stuff. And Paul is doing that a lot. May it never be. God forbid. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by that which is good, that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. That you might get the point that it wasn't just bad. It wasn't just different. It wasn't just counterculture. It's an abomination. And you might get the point that that's what sin really is. The law is just and good. The law brings a knowledge of sin. The law demonstrates to man his sinful condition. The problem with the law is what? It's man's inability to keep the law. The problem with the law is us. Now, put this in its context, and we're not, we're not going to jump off into the second half of chapter 7 tonight, and we'll save that for next Sunday night because I think it's worthy of us spending an entire lesson. But the point that he's talking about, once again, is not just to tell us how bad we are, The point of all this is for us to understand how wonderful and how blessed the relationship that we do have is. That that grace, that system of salvation based upon faith in God and His grace and mercy, what a blessing to have that. How grateful should we be for that? How appreciative, how how much glory should we bring Him? That I know who I am. I look in that mirror. I see sin. I see shortcoming. But I see Christ. And He can do something about the thing that I can't do anything about. He did do something about the thing that I couldn't do anything about. 
God, God gave a system and it was good and it was righteous and it was holy. I never kept it. Couldn't keep it. Couldn't keep the, couldn't keep the law of Moses. Couldn't work my way into heaven. Not one man. Not one man outside the Son of God. When a man does it, you know he's the Son of God, right? That's what we said this morning. What made Jesus so special? He was perfect. But yet, in spite of that, in spite of that, skip on ahead to chapter 8. There is, that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news. There's plenty of bad news. Alright? But when you get the bad news, oh, it makes the good news so much greater. It makes the good news so much greater that I don't, I don't have to be burdened by those things. I don't have to be burdened by my imperfection. I can be lifted up by His perfection. I can be lifted up by His plan. I don't have to fear because there is no condemnation. For who? Is there going to be condemnation? Yeah, there's going to be condemnation. For more, for more than there aren't going to be. That's what Jesus said. The road is broad that leads to destruction. Many will find it. The road is narrow that leads to life, and there are few will find it. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. That's the good news. So I ask the question tonight, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ? Where we saw in the very last chapter, Romans 6, you know? Have you been baptized into His death? Do you walk in Christ? Would people look at you and say, there's someone who's striving to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? They're not perfect, but they're striving for that. That's where we want to be. And if that's not where we're at, let's, let's return there. Let's return there tonight. Let's return there each and every day of our life. Wherever we find ourselves away from Christ, it's time to come back. Let's do that tonight as we stand and as we sing.
Thankful to have so many of you here with us tonight. I uh, hope you'll remember all those people traveling to the lectureships at Freed Hardeman. A lot of our church leaders will leave tonight to head that way in this rough weather. Also, pray that you'll uh, travel safely back to your homes and remember all the many things going on this week. And we do have a closing song. Uh, if we can say, oh, well, important detail. If you've missed the Lord's Supper this morning, it's available in a classroom to your left. Um, there will be someone uh, there to give that to you as we sing this song. I'd like to stay here longer than men's a lot of days And watch the fleeting changes of life's uneven ways But if my Savior calls me to that sweet home on high I'll live with Him forever in glory by and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory by and by I'll tell and sing love story There on high There with my dear Redeemer There no more to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory By and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory By and by I'll tell and sing love story There on high There with my dear Redeemer There no more to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory By and by Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your many blessings. And I thank You for the love that You have for us. Lord, I ask that You would be with all the sick that are uh, in our congregation and those that are struggling with cancer. I just ask that You would heal them and that You would allow them to have good reports and to get better and to return to their normal walk of life. Lord, I thank You for not holding us to the law and that, uh, that You have made a, a way for us I thank You for Your Son and for what He did for us so that we can have eternal life with You. I ask that You be with us as we go out through this week and that Your Spirit be alive in us and be moving through us so that others can see Your glory. Lord, we ask that we do all things for You and in Your name. In Sean's holy name I do pray. Amen.